the title of the talk tonight is No Words to Follow. No Words to Follow. <clears throat> you know, I was just uh, watching people come in, many of you whom I've known for years, and uh, just a deep sense of appreciation that we are willing to be together and sort of cast our sail on the same ship for a week. Um, I wish that I could serve all of you in the same way. Uh, and I know that some of you are here for very different reasons. Perhaps you're here um, to offset a difficult home environment. And the different reasons you're here are going to allow you to hear different uh, possibilities within talks <clears throat> and within the discourses. And, but I hope that at some point some of you get something from everything or something from some of it, not from everything. Uh, but um, to know that um, my intention now as a teacher, I think, is um, to move this thing as straightforward as I am able towards the fruit of the practice. And uh, some of it requires um, a willingness uh, to sort of energetically see if we can meet together in the words. Tonight may be a little difficult to do that because part of me wants to just take this thing and throw it as far as I can and just go out. And then part of me wants to reel it in and say, nobody, no, 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 bring people with you. And I have both of those uh, tendencies in me. So if I get out there a little far tonight, just be patient. I'll come back, hopefully, and bring some of us with us. Uh, we'll see. So, um, I want to look at the effect of language upon our practice. Tremendously important. In fact, uh, it's really the whole of the difficulty. I mean, we can, each of us probably understand that truth or freedom is abiding now, free from the influence of words. We, can you, can you give me that one? <laughs> I gotta have you there. I mean, we gotta start somewhere together. <laughs> Um, now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the way we conceive of the world, it, may I just say that uh, the Buddha said that the world was not disposed to be one way as opposed to another. That it is not disposed in any particular way. But our mind disposes it according to a particular way that we hold the words and see through the words of our language. And so, um, using language, we see through a word, and what we do is from something that could be have infinite possibilities. When we look, when awareness looks through the word, it sees from infinite possibilities a single possibility, which the word holds, right? 
tape recorder or Zafu. It selects out and identifies from endless possibilities one possibility because it sees through a definition that only holds one possibility. Just, just come with me for a little bit here. <laughs> now, so um, the words, we can begin to see that um, when we hold the world to words, we make it very concrete and distinct from ourselves. And when we hold a language, a whole language has a particular orientation as well, like the language that holds the world in relationship to I. The I is a fabrication of the mind. But when we look at the world according to the language of I, it's anything but a fabrication. It looks like absolute reality to us. I am here. By designation, you must be outside of that. By designation. And the world then is frozen within the language we have perceived, we perceive from. Now, a very interesting thing happens to the word now which, remember, was the basis of our freedom, living, be abiding in now, free of word, the influence of words. That was our definition of freedom. But a funny thing happens to now when we look through the language, or the language of I. Suddenly now isn't this all-embracive moment which in practice it shows us it is because what can be outside of now? It becomes this very contracted, narrow corridor between the past and the future. Almost not worth paying attention to. Right? The present is, is like the present only exists because of the past and the future and it's just a momentary movement of something and who cares about it anyway? And that perspective of now is held within our language. Right? But if freedom is abiding in now, how can we ever get to an all-embracing freedom when, our, when the now is the present moment which excludes us almost entirely, almost all the time? The language won't allow us to. The language keeps us outside of it. And the language has such certainty to it. It's like so convincing. We really believe that we are on our way to something. To somewhere. That the, yes, you can talk about the future and the past being all in the present, just thoughts, but I know tomorrow's going to happen. I know I've got a whole job and a, and a reality out there that defies that. You see, we, we'll give it a certain credibility. We'll give, our, we'll give our meditation a certain credibility, but you know, we shake ourselves off and now it's time to get back 
to the real one in which past and future are the truth and the present moment is is a very impoverished moment between those two legitimate time zones. And so we say, how am I going to ever leave this retreat and be free? Well, we're not holding that view because we're squeezed out of the now where our freedom is, aren't we? Because I've got so many things to do. Yes, 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 I know about the now. We can't enter it. We can't get there. Because we have such conviction, such absolute certainty in the truth of our life. And our truth of our life excludes the possibility of our freedom in our life. We exclude the possibility of our freedom by the way we hold life to be. And when we sit, it's like, well, sort of an obligation, you know, and it's like, and we think, and the... And, and we, but we have things to do. And it's the impoverished moment of now that comes in because we are fully forming our life through the concrete certainty of time, which I'll, in just a moment, I'll explain why we need to do that. And the concrete certainty of time provides an impoverished now in which I'm kind of squeezed into, and you can feel it in the meditation. It's like, I really want to get things done. And get, and, but I, okay, I know it's both, it's important to, for me to do this. And, and we want to know where the now's gone. <laughs> now we come on to retreat here and we open that now up vastly, don't we? In fact, when we beat the bell, when we hit the bell, there's a beautiful moment where you can be doing one of two things. You can be waiting for the bow to end and then continue the journey that is so deliberately undertaken in terms of your where you're headed. Or you can release the view entirely. And have an, the infinite expanse because the sound can take you that far. And so we may have moments, and some of us, because I haven't said anything, at the end of that, we'll bow. Bow almost organically, naturally. Like, oh. Like something holy just. I find myself doing the same thing. Because something precious just happened. Because I was opened up beyond words. I was quiet for a moment. There was quiet for a moment. Not that I was quiet. But if we, if we claim it the other way, I was quiet for a moment, that infinite expanse was only a momentary, a brief pause between the continuation of the I stance, which comes in right after the bell. And where I need to go and again, the view comes closing in and the past and future seem so 
important and relevant, and I've got to get to the meditation hall so I can do the next sitting. All of that is held by the language. It is not how reality is. And we are so, we are, our dedication is to the language. And we never realize that when we infuse that energy into the language, it holds us in a particular posture to life itself. To ourselves, through language is created. All things separate to ourselves are created. The past and the future is created within that language. Time is necessary to overcome the obstacles and problems that I have. Circumventing problems, transcending problems, whatever. All of that is because of the language we use. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else holds that reality. Nothing. In fact, there are experience, uh, physical, I remember as a um, college, in college physics, uh, having a, an experiment, that, and the professor said, he says, I'm going to show you something that's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Cannot happen. And then he set up an exper- experiment that showed that life was a wave. And then he set up another experiment that showed that life was a particle. He says, I've just showed you what's impossible. Though light cannot be both. And yet this experiment showed irreversibly that it's a wave, and this one showed it irreversibly as a particle. And that those cannot coexist. And he says, I can't explain it. You see, it's disposed in one way. Reality will dispose it in one way or the other, depending upon what we need from it. It is not immutable. It becomes what we want it to be. Reality becomes what we want it to be. If we just go below the surface to the microscopic level, to the quanta level of experience. It is absolutely bizarre. A recording uh, what is there is so bizarre. Things are, can be in two places at the same time, can disappear in front of our eyes. It's totally erratic and inconsistent. At the microscopic level, that is the way reality is. Now, all of a sudden, you look at the the macroscopic level and it's all smooth. Why? Because reality has come through and been filtered by the mind. The mind will hold out the eradications, will hold off whatever it doesn't agree with, and absolutely maintain a persistent and consistent reality to what its beliefs are. It's not disposed one way as opposed to another. And when we dispose it in one way as opposed to another, and this becomes more practical now, certain laws then come forward within that disposition. 
when we dispose it in, in the way that all of us do in this room, that I'm here and you're there, that reality of certainty, then the laws that come into that equation are birth and death. That is the truth. We create the laws of birth and death within the reality of I. Because I, a changing thing, a limited within time, because we brought time together, has a beginning and an ending, has a birth and a death. And we have brought the equation of life to be lived on a continuum within the reality of I. Because I needs time to survive Inevitably, it must also have time in which it is born and dies. Now, I just want to take you a little bit. I haven't taken you out far enough. I'm going to take you a little further. (laughs) All the characteristics of existence are born within that perception as well. We think that they're a given. Anicca, dukkha, nada. No. Because the eye needs time to survive, the only way the eye can survive is in movement, not in stillness. In stillness it doesn't exist. It has no traction. It needs time to keep moving ahead of itself. It needs the future to plan, to become something, to become someone, to, to, to better oneself. Right? It creates a reality of change. It creates movement from its need to sustain itself by movement, through movement. And in so doing, the byproducts of all this, because there's always a fallout when there is a creation, is that there's also, it also creates dukkha. It also creates suffering within that movement, within that betterment, within that becoming. And so it creates the characteristics of existence from its need to exist. And the characteristics of existence only exist from its need to exist. I'm just showing you, what I'm showing you is the landscape, how in amazingly, the Buddha said, this fathom-long body creates the entire world. This, he's not just talking, he's talking absolute terms. That this fathom-long body, the whole world is created within this fathom-long body. And we have infused so much energy into keeping this movement going and squeezing ourselves out of freedom because in the movement is the impossibility of freedom. And at some point, you see, we take on the language of change. We take on the language of change. Most of us start in meditation with the language of change. You know, things are changing and permanence, it fits the Dharma, and I'm changing right along with it, and I'm moving and growing. And we start looking at spiritual work from the language of change, from the language of movement. And, yeah, I'm, I was 
I was this way three months ago and now you just can't believe how much better I am. And I, and, be, and you teach that. I teach that. I have to teach that. Because the beginners, when they're looking at me, they, you know, and I say, um, they're, they're, don't have a goal. They say, what do you mean don't have a goal? Of course I'm going to have a goal. Don't tell me not to have a goal. You, you undercut everything that's important to me by taking that away. So I said, okay, have a goal. <laughs> because they need a goal. We need a goal at a certain we need, we need to work. We can't just throw this thing in the trash, you know. We have to work with what it is. And so the Buddha, in his wisdom, worked with our need to configure reality in the way we have, with movement. And then he, so he looked at a way to show us that if we continue within the reality that we have created and formed, here are the limitations. You're going to suffer. You're going to die. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. I haven't, I, wait a minute. I didn't count on that. Wait a second here. Hold it. Okay, now how do I, get, what, now what is it that, what am I doing now? You see, I want to look at now. Now I'm ready to look at what, well, what am I doing? Okay, so then we have to start looking at time and how we're creating time. Hmm? And how we create movement, how we create change. And suddenly you see that you can't have a word. You cannot form a word without the view of change within it. Old age, birth, old age and death is contained within everything. And so then you think, oh my God. Then this world that I have created, this reality that I have depicted in myself, this disposition that I have asserted and invested in, has its limitation. Maybe I should rethink this. Maybe I should, maybe I should pause here. Maybe, and then we start seeing how bound we are to the vocabulary of change. That if I'm going to invest in it, it will serve me to promote myself and to think I'm bettering myself and to think that I am, you know, going from A to B to C and that I have a long life that I can do all the productive things and the sense of meaning and purpose in which those tasks are undertaken and with the intention. But wait a minute, if there's death... Maybe I need to pull back for a second. So we look at the inherent inconsistencies, the downfalls, because when we create a view, when we create a disposition, it holds inconsistencies. And so this language of change, and I know that some of you are far lost, but that's okay. We're good. In this language of change, those inconsistencies, those traumas, of suffering and death and irritation, annoyance, and impatience. All see, all of those have time. Impatience, annoyance, irritation, problems. All of that is part of having a disposed mind that creates time. You say, okay, so maybe my creation is like waking up and thinking, well, my invention does have some flaws here. <laughs> 
It does have some flaws. And pretty soon the flaws outweigh the advantages. That's Dharma, isn't it? Then we want out of change. We say, okay, I didn't buy into this. I didn't know what I was getting into. So I want to bail out. So we look for a different language. And where do some of us go? But the language of immediacy. Now, all reality is now. Right? And it feels a little bit nobler. More, you know. <laughs> I've seen through change. Because it's all, and, and it accompanies some insights, because insight is seeing the limitation of a particular way that we have disposed the world to be. And when we begin to perceive life insightfully, we see the disadvantages of the way we have disposed it. And we want, and it also shows us another possibility. As well as our practice. Once we have gotten through the struggles of trying to be something very special and build ourselves consistent to the model of change that we have lived our life with in our meditation, once we've gotten through that model, we say, okay, just just being present. Just being, just, just this. That it's all here. Because, and it's so true from the perspective. Suddenly, the whole world, the whole vantage point changed. There's a completely different truth, a completely different worldview. It's disposed completely different from this new language of immediacy. There is no time, is there? Each one of you, in your heart, have seen that time is just thought-based and that the thoughts are happening now. And so, you can't conclude anything else except that time is a fictional abstraction made by me, generated by my mind to dispose the world in a particular way. There's no way you cannot see that and come to that conclusion. So, time is not true. It's not true. Past isn't true. Future isn't true. Where is the past? Where is the future? Please show it to me. All you could ever point to is now. All you will ever point to is now. And we think ourselves out of now, which was the talk last night. And now what we're trying to do is to come back into now. And there now is a whole language associated with that immediacy intrinsic our intrinsic nature buddha nature all of the different ways that we talk about here and now as intrinsic to everything it's all held within my, all of that. And so then we start seeing from that point of view. My God, it is so true. It is as true as it used to seem 
in the disposition of time, in the language of time. It just seems so convincingly true. In fact, I know it's true. The other one I used to think was true. But now I've seen this differently and I have a new set of language and I'm not going to be fooled anymore. Now, whenever we do that, we've disposed the mind. It was this way and now we've disposed it that way. Suddenly, we have limitations. Damn. The flaws start showing up. So what's the, what are the flaws of immediacy? The flaws of immediacy, one thing says, well, nothing is changing. Doesn't it? However, some things need to change. And some things not only need to change, but we are energetically trying to move them in a particular way. So it, it denies a particular assertion or engaged activity to life. Because if it's all illusion, what do I do anything? In fact, we, since it's all an illusion, time is an illusion, I can do anything to anyone. So there's no moral constraint. You see, as a language, it's really quite hideous. As a philosophy, it's really quite hideous. Isn't it? Because there's nothing, there's nothing governing anything. And also something that's very important is that the Buddha spoke an awful lot about character development. He spoke an awful lot about character development because character development holds a particular orientation to safety for other people. If I have a character that's integritous, then people can feel safe with my teaching or with me as a friend. And what happens to character development when we cast it into just now. We don't care about it at all because it has no, that makes no sense. And so we begin to see that we have fought, we blocked ourselves in somehow into a particular perception holding a philosophy that could ravage the world in the same way that the sense of self in its disposition has ravaged the world. And one might not be any better, much, in fact, worse than the other. And we begin to see something, hopefully, that any language that I use holds a limitation. any language, any disposition, disposing the world in exactly the same as a, the way a word disposes the world and an object to a particular focused reference, so does a language with its suppositions and constructs and determinants 
and laws force the world into a particular way of being. And when we do that, then there must be leakage. There must be flaws. So you see, I'm going to bring in an axis here. We have the x-axis in which I have been in movement, the I one. And I go from time past to time future to the zero of here and now, the zero of the here and now where the y-axis crosses the x-axis. Uh, to the right is the future, to the left is the past, the zero point is the impoverished moment between the... And I'm just going back and forth like this all the time with my thoughts, with my being, with my purpose, with my intention, with my all of that. And I can see that that is a very restless, peripatetic movement. Right? This is wearing me out. This wears you out. That's why you're here. You've been worn out on the x-axis. The x-axis has just worn you out. Alright? So now, we seek the y-axis. Where I can stop. Where this whole thing opens up. Beautifully. Where there's infinite space. Because the y-axis is vertical. And the zero point of the y-axis is like this. Right where it crosses. And I can make my rules up along that axis just as I made my rules on the x-axis. And those rules are governed by the infinite now and the illusion of time, just as the other one was uh, derived from a limited now and infinite time, and a past and future. And when I'm on the y-axis, morality, why? Why do I need to do it? Does it matter? Well, you're not. You're empty. I'm empty. Let's be empty together. Okay, so you can see that if we play, we can play on either, we can play on either axis. In fact, the, all of the Dharma is to move us off the, and see the limitations of the x-axis because that's the one that we're all most on, most of us are on most of the time. So it sets up it shows us through the characteristics of living on the x-axis, the limitations of living on the x-axis, which are the three characteristics of Anicca, Dukkha, and Anana. That's Then it says, okay, oh my God, let me go to the y-axis. This is a limitation that I had not thought. So we seek our reference on the language of immediacy. 
we can all sit around the campfire and talk about the infinite me. Just to so what's the solution? Because I have no other access to go to. What can I do? I can't go back on the x-axis. And I can't, if I have any kind of integrity, I can't keep marching this thing on the y-axis. I can't fool myself that hurting people is okay. I'm sorry, the heart just won't bide that one. So I can't go to the x-axis, I can't go to the y-axis. I go to the zero point. Where both axes cross, but there's no language on either one. It holds both truths. The zero point is the only point on either axis that holds both axes but extends itself into neither. Realizing that at some point, life is a wave, and at other times it's a particle. And that is not in conflict, except when I language it out. And sometimes I'm me, and sometimes I'm not me. And both of those coexist. Seemingly disparate, absolute impossibilities. The emptiness of self and the fullness of self. Time and the timeless. Inconsistent, inconceivable, impossibilities coexist. at the zero point. This is the final freedom. Extend myself even slightly towards the x-axis and lose the reference point of zero of the y-axis and all hell breaks loose. And back governed by the laws of the x-axis. Old age, death, dying, Nietzsche, dukkha, Extend myself into the y-axis as a, an aversion to the x-axis. And suddenly I'm in, I'm there without moral constraint. Without any reference of connection whatsoever. Because it's all infinite. But stay at the zero point. And abide there. And somebody comes up, shakes your hand. How are you? I'm fine. How's your day been? It's been great. Things been going well. Laughs, have fun together. Like the beautiful Japanese Zen paintings of this huge mountain and a waterfall and these little people in the valley just in delight with one another's company. And that's perfect in its imperfection.
because perfection and imperfection coexist at exactly the same time. And the delight of company and the delight of warm-heartedness at the absolute moment that it also contains the zero of emptiness in which we know I'm absolutely conclusively that this moment is a total fabrication. But not backing into that, even in the slightest way, not even in the... Holding both of those simultaneously, we hold the chaotic quality of the quanta of life and the certainty of conformity, of uniformity, of uniformity. This then is where we rest. This then is the only resting place because we have been driven off the scale. We see the flaws of the scale. The Buddha said, however we conceive of the truth, it is other than that. He said in one word, I took 45 minutes. (laughs) However we conceive the truth to be, it is other than that. So we don't conceive it. And therefore it cannot be disposed. And however it's disposed and however it manifests, there's relaxation and the willingness to allow. Miracles? That's just the equation of the dynamics of the quanta showing itself on this. I have no question that those are possible. But they can't be possible. Why can't they be? They're only inconsistent with the way we think about life. They're not inconsistent with life. Only stillness. We can only be still. It's the only resolve we have that can lead to the zero point. Just be still. In biblical reference, be still and know you are God, it says. and the creations that come from stillness, we have privy to be able to observe. And that's all we have. So let us delight in the display, but not assert a disposition within that display. Let us just Take up the zero. 
Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.